Hello, my name is Michael Albert, and this is the 33rd episode of the podcast Revolution Z. This episode, which is titled Immigration, Police, Housing, and More, is the third trying to verbally present the Hope For movie, Next American Revolution. In each episode presenting the movie, and I think there will be 12 in all, interspersed among the regular Revolution Z sessions, I will take a section of the screenplay and tweak it for audio presentation, trying to convey the dialogue, albeit a bit stilted, as I am no actor, but also a sense of the visuals, albeit a bit dry, as I am no painter or poet. So this time, the third installment, imagine you are watching the big screen, and that you have been, for a time, as covered by the first and second narrow episodes. And on screen you now see Miguel Guevara interviewing Mayor Bill Hampton in his office. Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. posters look down from the wall. Miguel Guevara asks, Mayor Hampton, you became an anti-racist activist. You joined RPS, the Organization for a Revolutionary Participatory Society, and you later became mayor of New York City. What got you started? Bill Hampton replies, I joined a sanctuary for immigrants at a church in San Antonio, Texas. The scene changes, and you see the outside of a church. You see police vans and police lined up in three rows, ten abreast. You see the pastor blocking the closed door along with about 50 congregants and the church choir. News helicopters circle ominously overhead. Hundreds of energetic activists, many supporting RPS hats, show support from the surrounding streets. The pastor says to the police for all to hear, To take our immigrant families, you will have to go through our extended family. Come ahead if you must. Brutalize our limbs. Shove our beaten bodies aside. You will not break our spirit. You then see the pastor and congregants lock arms. The church doors suddenly open, revealing rows of congregants who also lock arms. At the distant pulpit, sheltered families stand resolute. You hear Bill Hampton's voice over the visual. San Antonio was our Selma, our Birmingham. San Antonio's sheriff was our Bull Connor. He so disrespected anyone who could side with immigrants that he felt a few swings of police batons would open a clear path to the potential deportees. The sheriff says, you have two minutes to vacate. After that, we will forcefully vacate you and take the illegals. The church choir begins singing, we shall not be moved. We shall not be moved. An eternally slow-moving minute passes. You see the sheriff and his deputies march into the human barrier, striking viciously. You see blood flow. You see damage spread. No one runs. The church choir continues. Deep in our hearts, we know. You see officers stomp. Congregants moan. The choir sings. More congregants emerge and lock arms. Onlookers with cameras witness in horror. Congregants reach up to embrace their tormentors. Hugs diminish space for brutal swings. After a bit, some deputies relent. Then the sheriff relents as well, staring at the bloodied pastor. You see all that, and you hear Bill Hampton's voice over the visual. They could have demolished us, leaving blasted bodies in their wake. Our pastor was bloodied and bent, but I can still hear him. We see the pastor say to the sheriff, Leave your baton and gun with your fellow officers outside. Do that, and you are welcome to talk to the immigrant families, to me, and to others in our space of peace and worship within. You see tears flow. Medics aid congregants. The moment stretches, and then, calmly, respectfully, after a seeming eternity staring at the bloodied pastor, the sheriff takes off his gun, drops his baton, and walks into the church. 
The scene changes to outside the sheriff's office, midday. The sheriff stands before dozens of press and says, I will no longer recognize federal orders or any orders at all to arrest immigrants. He drops Mike, walks off. The scene shifts back to the mayor's office where the Guevara-Hampton interview continues. Hampton says, It was the shortest, longest press conference ever. Fierce conflict, horrible losses in prior years, other sheriffs who didn't budge, kids who were separated from parents and violated, activists who were beaten and jailed, epithets and fear. But San Antonio Sunday broke the pattern and brought an end to the blame the immigrant, beat the immigrant, cage the immigrant, expel the immigrant era. San Antonio sheriff may or may not have found his humanity, but either way, activism won. Guerrero says, actually, I interviewed that sheriff years later for a retrospective. He cried, remembering. He had become an RPS member. But I wonder, what was your view of cops back then? Hampton answers, before San Antonio, I hated cops. To me, my family, and my friends, cops spelled danger, even death. One way to deal with cops was to imagine fighting fire with fire, eye to eye, toe to toe. Call them pigs, throw a rock, daydream of beating them, and then run like hell. The sanctuary didn't make me a pacifist, but I saw nonviolence plus compassion disarm what would have totally demolished any attempt to fight back. Divide the police, diffuse the police, finally make the police allies. Do that, I learned, and their powerful paymasters become weak. Guevara asks, what about cursing cops? Hampton replies, it may feel good, but it puts emotion in command. It angers them. Addressing cops as fellow citizens puts strategy in command. It disarms them. Guevara asks, how did RPS program first emerge? Hampton answers, a few years earlier, the Bernie Sanders campaign had program. Black Lives Matter at first ignored program, but then brilliantly offered it. Massive women's marches offered program. Those all tried, but still, dozens of essays addressed Trump's idiot vile tweets for every essay that addressed what to do. But then activists created local sanctuaries and churches and universities, and even in some private homes, and program emerged. The scene shifts to a university campus center. You can see it as providing housing and protection to activists and immigrants. Student activist says to an audience, Our sanctuaries teach and celebrate. To take our friends, the police will have to take us. And neither we nor they are going easily. The scene shifts to a sports stadium, where on the Philadelphia Condors football field, athletes and immigrants mingle. You see tents housing families. Kids play. Signs wave. Teams work out. You hear Bill Hampton's voice over the visual. Prominent athletes welcomed immigrants into sports arenas on many college campuses. Then a few NFL and NBA teams did the same. It created a mutual aid mindset for all involved and built incredible momentum. The scene shifts to a poor neighborhood where you see a large rally that marches miles to an executive's home. Neighbors and media watch it arrive. You hear Bill Hampton's voice over the visual. Another effective early choice was our response to warmongering, climate-violating cabinet members. We exposed their views, we proposed progressives for their posts, we rallied where they worked, we rallied where they lived. The cabinet members wanted us driven off, but how? Tear gas their offices, tear gas their neighborhoods. The scene shifts to outside a police station where you see a demonstrator address police bunched at the door. Demonstrator 1 says, we demand community oversight. 
a second demonstrator says. Come to our neighborhood meetings to discuss how to create safer communities and end racist policing. We want prisoners to build low-income housing. We want to fund it with refocused military and police budgets. The scene shifts to outside a military base. You see activists rally there. The demonstrators talk amiably with soldiers going in and out. You hear Hampton's voice over the visual. We went to military bases and police stations and organized. We listened and proposed. We fought, but we also made friends. I won't make believe it was easy. We had to overcome hostility. We had to deal with difference. And we often got the shit kick out of us. But necessity birthed invention. It was our only winning path, and we took it. The scene shifts back to the mayor's office, where the Guevara Hampton interview continues. Mayor Hampton, seated, answers a question. Still, most people's responses to program remain disjointed. A project would aggressively adopt one aim. Another project would equally aggressively adopt a different aim. Few strayed from narrow priorities to embrace full program. Activism occurred in isolated silos. You did this, I did that. But we needed overarching unity. The scene next shifts to an assembly hall, where you see young Bill Hampton giving a speech. We must combine campaigns to end deporting immigrants through local airports with campaigns to clean up plumes of toxic waste from those same airports. We must mesh efforts to curb CO2 emissions with efforts to create and ensure good jobs. Community centers must feature speakers on women's rights and also on wage struggles. Activists for prison reform must support and be supported by activists for solar power. The scene reverts to the mayor's office where the Guevara Hampton interview continues. Bill Hampton says, RPS wanted those who focus most on war to aid those who focus most on immigration, to aid those who focus most on global warming, resource depletion, toxic cleanup, tax reform, improving public spaces, distributing food and medicine, sexual harassment, police violence, worker safety, and income redistribution. Miguel Guevara asks, Bill, what do you think hindered greater activist success before RPS? The scene shifts to a lecture hall, where young Bill Hampton and young Cynthia Parks, 28, a housing organizer, stand together and emotionally address a large student audience. An RPS flag with date drapes the lectern. Young Bill Hampton says, Why have we had so much trouble winning a new society? To win is desired. To win is needed. Yet so often we fight and lose. He turns to Cynthia and asks, Why? Young Cynthia Parks answers, I think it's because society debilitates us until we lack sufficient strength to fight well. I feel it is because oppression distorts us until we lose our ability to cooperate and be strategic. Can't you feel society's roles bend us until we pick up habits that destroy our unity and clarity? Young Bill Hampton responds, So we fail because we do bad things. Cynthia Parks continues, Yes, sometimes we get overly aggressive other times too passive. Sometimes we attack opponents to prove our worth more than to win a new system. Often we find it easier to talk to people who like us and to avoid people who dislike us. Always we complain. We rarely sufficiently welcome new participants. She turns to Bill and asks, why do we subvert ourselves? Young Hampton answers, 
I think defeatism crushes us until we doubt we can win and we lose motivation to seek success. Then we prioritize pleasing friends, not winning a new society. We focus short-term, not long-term. We lack hope and ridicule vision. We silo ourselves. We succumb to liberalism or rail pointlessly at it. We disdain reform. We denigrate those who are not yet radical, and we play at violence. We denigrate religion, sports, country music, and fast food. We celebrate professional, not working-class values. Young Parks says to audience, Some of you may resist admitting these many faults. Some of you may even castigate us for reporting them. But the truth is, if everything was already wonderful, how could we do better? The scene shifts to the mayor's office, where Guevara Hanton interview continues. Guevara asks, I remember getting angry at messengers who reported movement faults to spur improvement, but eventually I understood that finding flaws to overcome was necessary, and I became just that kind of messenger. Bill Hampton replies, RPS had to give collective attention to previously bemoaned but often untreated personal baggage. For that, we allotted time for everyone to tell their stories. People were heard. Tears flowed. We admitted and addressed problems. We felt less needy and more present. We felt compassion for each other and realized our fears weren't ours alone. Guevara asks, You were in a confrontation at the second convention, am I right? Hampton answers, yes. A group of ex-military proposed we should arm and train to battle directly with police. The scene shifts to a large hall. In the hall, you see convention goers, RPS decorations, lively discussion, and then you watch seven ex-soldiers in RPS hats and military jerseys occupy the stage beneath an RPS flag. A soldier announces to the hall, rejecting weapons is cowardly. You can't leaflet an empire into submission. You must blow it up. Overcoming oppressive violence requires liberatory violence. If we reject weapons, the uniformed thugs win. Look at our rifles. Do you see the power of guns? It is simple. You are either with us or you are with the state. You then see young Bill Hampton stand, gather a couple of friends, walk up onto the stage, and address the soldiers. Violence would distort our ability to think straight. It is the one contest the state always wins. To overcome state violence, we must make it ineffective. We must ensure that their violence strengthens us. But surely you can see that we clearly aren't cowardly and phony. Surely you can see that clearly we aren't on the side of the state. So are you going to shoot us because we reject your argument? Shoot us, or let's go talk further. After a pause, young Bill Hampton leads the soldiers off to a side room where they talk further. A soldier says... The issue isn't just the police. In a group, one person with a club is a big problem. Five people with guns are a huge problem. Young Bill Hanton replies, We can handle police at local demonstrations by creating situations in which public reaction to police or military violence rebounds to our benefit, and by infiltrating police forces, and by organizing them. Soldier answers, Maybe we can do that, but we can't make violence counterproductive for those doing it if they are trying to damage RPS from within. If we were enemies of RPS, things could have gone really, really badly today. Hell, we could have shot you. Young Hampton answers. I agree that we need ways to deal with craziness or sabotage, but we have to do it without our efforts harming us more than the saboteurs would harm us. Second soldier asks, what if it is impossible nonviolently? Do you then just give up and let crazies mow you down? Young Hampton answers. No, we have a few good people trained to handle crazy interlopers. We elect security folks based on their 
patient temperament. But we have completed two conventions and countless demonstrations and campaigns, including against police and state power, without having such a special arrangement. Maybe fear of lunacy is a bigger problem than lunacy itself. The scene returns to the mayor's office, where the Guevara Hampton interview continues. Bill Hampton answers a question. We were wise to be cautious. We had a plan ready for wide discussion and vote, but we held off until practical evidence suggested we couldn't do without it. Meanwhile, I and others quietly worked with folks on how to deal with local intruders, drunks, infiltrators, and the like. State violence, however, we thwarted the only way possible, by organizing. At this point, I hope you agree that we are in a good place to stop this episode. I want to say an actual film emerging from the screenplay instead of a verbal description by one speaker with no visuals would obviously be very different. More, I would guess that in the transition to film, a lot would change. Participants would not only gain gender, race, age, but also well beyond that personal voice. Perhaps some voiceovers would melt into new action, making the same points, and there might be other improvements. Hopefully the politics would remain unscathed or even improve in the process. Of course, all of that is a long shot, but maybe one of you who is listening will write me for a PDF of the screenplay, pass it on to a friend, and by some fortuitous route into the hands of, I don't know, Danny Glover, Susan Sarandon, John Cusack, or Matt Damon. And then maybe whoever was reached that way would enlist some friends and a team would emerge, and then a film. At any rate, that's my hope. Is my hope delusional? Perhaps. But in 2013, wouldn't you have considered it delusional to think the most popular politician in the country, six years later, would call himself a socialist? That said, until next time, when Revolution Z's vision sequence takes up the issue of racism and cultural community vision, this is Michael Albert, signing off for now, for Revolution Z.